0: Blog Talk Radio. The Marketing Technology Blog Radio Show. With Douglas Carr, founder of the Marketing Technology Blog and author of Corporate Blogging for Dummies. Online marketing strategies, web, search, social, email, mobile news tips, tricks, and best practices. From actual marketers, search professionals, and social media experts:
1: Good Friday, everybody? It's not really good Friday. No It's, it's not. a good Friday. Yes. How's that yeah. That's better. And I'm just going <laughs> to clarify that I'm out of this conversation because I'm not an actual marketer. <laughs> 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 we joke about that that we wrote that script and Paul he did it, but we say actual. He's uh he still has his soul, but we were we were meaning like we were meaning like that we weren't just gonna bring in theorists that we were gonna bring in folks like today Eric Decker is on the ground people not Eat on not the ground yes, people people that actually do it not just the people that write the books you know about it Losing all the yeah no no, I mean I think there's isn't there's a lot it's probably there's some people who write books that they uh they manage to trick their publishers pretty well well and and and, I, and their livelihood doesn't depend on it, it is you know like i i give a I give a dumb example, but spam you know that in reality, most big businesses curb past permission issues on a lot of things and do very well. They don't get hurt, mm-hmm. but nobody that's ever had to build lists and actually show <laughs> revenue results to their boss or whatever, yeah, yeah. they all go, no, no permission. You know, we have to have a double, triple, quadruple opt-in, and, you know, so real world is different. So um, we're excited. We're always good. This is your third time? Third or fourth. That's awesome. I've so shown up more than once. I've kind of been the Adam oh. a few times. <laughs> <laughs> no, I didn't know I had the
2: official role here. The guy the,
1: you're like sidekick.
2: <laughs> what's what's Conan's sidekick?
1: Oh, uh, Andy, Andy Richter.
2: You're 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 our Andy Richter.
1: I, I just got relegated to sidekick. Position. <laughs> I thought I was occasional guest host and all that. But it <laughs> turns out I'm sidekick. <laughs> well, the
2: pay's the same. <laughs>
1: hey, Robin filled in for Batman now and then. You Robin eventually it. went out on his own though, you know. He came Nightwing. you know. Oh, so Andy I, I Richards <laughs> <position. laughs> <laughs> well, the funny I mean,
2: he he
1: is, is more funny than comedy. He is pretty funny. funny. Yeah. Well, so what's new, Eric? Tell us tell us I, I know you've got probably three books getting written right now, plus I know you have another one coming out. Putting uh finishing touches on uh, a book that I've been writing with Paul B. Jackson of Radio's communication and uh, Talby, if you read stories about the Super Bowl social media command center, that was Talby, and he and I are writing a book about uh, owned media, which oh, nice. is which is the idea of owning your own channels and owning your own content rather than earned or paid media, which is PR and advertising. Right. So uh, we're going to pitch that. Uh, to publisher and if they like it then you know that's another book with Pearson and if not then we'll probably go with uh, an e-book route or something oh, like nice. that we're still working those details out but we're maybe uh, You've had a pretty good success rate with your books. so I doubt I doubt you go into the room anymore and have to song and dance it too yeah yeah they made it hum a little bit but yeah, yeah. <laughs> but no they're, they're Pearson's been really great uh yeah. with us and and been very supportive of us uh I've even managed to send some other people uh, to our editors, uh, my editor, Catherine Bull, um, uh, Chris Brogan. Uh, she was able to work with Chris Brogan his Google Plus book, thanks more in part to Jason Paul, uh than to me. Uh, it was just like another voice going to Chris, hey, you should go with him. Yeah, yeah. And uh, so I've got a good working relationship, and, and I always uh, consider myself a Pearson man Good. before I go anywhere else. I don't think I ever you, will go anywhere else. Were you with anybody else? <laughs> <laughs> when Kyle uh, when Kyle was doing Twitter marketing for dummies and I was helping him with that, that was, that was Wiley, out. yeah. And uh uh you know it was fine but but we just we just have a better relationship with Pearson. Yeah. Well I you know, there's a huge difference between them too, as Wiley is Wiley has their own voice and their own brand. Mm-hmm. Where Pearson, I think, is a little bit more about you and your brand and your voice. Yep, and they let us. They let us be ourselves. And yeah. and people who read Branding Yourself and No Bullshit Social Media will notice a distinct style difference. It didn't have to sound like every other book we get, yeah. So Branding Yourself is is funnier and has you know actual jokes in it and little humorous Twitter conversations between me and Kyle. But we didn't do that in No Bullshit. Right. Well, uh, no bullshit, congratulations on that one. I wanted to see whether I had it down there so you could autograph it, but giving it away. Um but that's done incredibly well, right? Yeah, yeah. gotten a lot of great attention for us and uh uh we're both getting invitations to speak in different uh locales. I was just in Dallas nice. last week. Uh I'll be in San Diego in a couple of months and uh in the UK in November. And, and what do you, you know, I mean, obviously, I know I'm friends with both you and and Jason, and and know your styles a little bit. But to the end user, you know, why is why isn't it just another social media book? Obviously, it says bullshit on the cover, so that's that was the biggie. But but you guys really do subscribe to. Uh, uh, um, I, I'm trying to think of the right way way to say it. Um, it is no bullshit. I mean, that's a perfect way to put it. But it's it's. You know, kind of put it out there. Um, the, well, the, for one thing, the, the book was a whole business case for that person who's a social media skeptic. It, it's not just every other social media book I see, especially that one-on-one level. They spend one chapter convincing you why you should be on social media, yeah. and then the next 11 chapters assuming that you bought into it. Right. And we didn't want to do that. We wanted this whole book to be about uh, here's what you're missing out on by not being honest. Uh here's the things that you know, here are the myths that you hold that are wrong. Uh here are the practices that other companies have been doing, and these are the things that could help your company if you started using social media. So it's more of a business case. But you know, Jason and I both being uh long time professional writers also bring that professional writing tone to it and and really laid out that no bullshit approach. You know, we it was no nonsense. Uh not messing around, we're not you know we're not being the uh the hippie holding hands, yeah. singing in the, right. standing in a circle, singing kumbaya tone that a lot of writers take uh this was written for business people by business people it goes it goes back to my original thing is you know the the reason why I respect you guys is and I listen to you guys is that's how you're feeding yourself, you mm-hmm. know, and I think there's a there's a huge difference in the tone. In the in the examples, you know, in everything, when you pick up a book like that and you compare it to the to the theorist,
3: you know, yeah. if you
1: will, so it's it's funny now that you know now that we've been doing this for a few years, I I read like Inc. magazine articles and Forbes articles, and I gag a little bit when I read them, you know, because it's almost like they were where social media writers were. Five years, ago. yeah, exactly. You know, they're, they're, the stuff that they're putting out is just crap. Well, and they know. got their information by reading a couple of blog posts. Yeah, yeah, and, exactly. And you know, they haven't tested this stuff out for themselves. You can tell they're not users, or if they're users, you go look at their Twitter profile and they tell you how this is how you do Twitter, and they've got twelve followers and right. following two. Right, or worse yet, they've got a couple thousand followers and they're following twelve. And yeah. And it's all their other firms. If they haven't updated in three months, yeah those are the people that are giving twitter advice, yeah, uh you know, I'd rather read something from the practitioner who's actually made money doing
2: it right right
1: do you think um we're gonna have a we're gonna have actually a webinar are here pretty soon with Brian Carter, and he's gonna be talking about about linkedin and 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 i I you know personally. I haven't gotten a lot out of LinkedIn, and the more I keep reading from other guys is there's a ton there that that I just haven't basically dug deep enough or tapped into it. Do you you think that that, – I always read the comparisons everywhere, Twitter versus Facebook versus LinkedIn, and and I can't stand the comparisons because I think they're they're really different vehicles and and everything else. Like comparing a car to a bicycle and saying this one's better because it keeps you out of the rain. Right. Right, right. but I mean, do you get lots of, uh, you know, as you guys are exploring this, is it a, I want to ask an open question. How How do you tell, how do you kind of explain to people these mediums? How do you say, you know, what a Twitter is versus a Facebook page versus, you know, a LinkedIn presence? Well, a lot of it is just understanding what they're looking for. And so if I'm talking to a business person who does B2B business, uh, I know that Facebook is not going to be their best option. I know that LinkedIn is their better option, and Twitter will be their better option. But if it's a restaurant owner who's trying to increase traffic for his pizza place, uh, I know Facebook is just about his only option compared to LinkedIn. Okay. So so a lot of it is just a matter of understanding what the what the person I'm talking to needs before I ever start telling them. Yep. Um, and and I try to I'll tell them a little bit about the other and say. You know, for the B2B person, it doesn't hurt to be on Facebook because as you become friends with your clients and your customers, they're on Facebook, so solidify your relationship. And and for the restaurant owner, there are, you know, other restaurant owners and other pizza parlor owners who are on LinkedIn, and you can learn from them. Right. But it's always a matter of finding out first what they need and then answering that question for them. But I still think as, as many tools as we keep seeing popping up, I think for anybody who wants to uh, be in business, they need to focus on a blog, on Twitter, and on LinkedIn or Facebook. And, and those three should be where they spend most of their energy. Amen. <laughs> <laughs> and it was, remember all the naysayers that blogging was dead and, and this? Oh, yeah. blogging's being replaced by Twitter because you can express <laughs> your will in <laughs> you, 140 characters. Yeah yeah. Yeah. Yeah, 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 people were saying it. Yeah, and I, I always said, if you can express your worldview in 140 characters, I don't think you're complex enough that I want to spend time with you. <laughs> you better. You're a genius yeah, yeah. <laughs> for being able to craft that 140-character message. No, I, 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 we did a presentation uh, recently, and I, I had a slide on there and said, you know, blogging is dead. You know, uh, long live content marketing. That's the new the new term for blogging is yeah. content marketing. You know, you ask people, "What? The, well, what's your content marketing strategy?" Well, we have a blog. Okay, so you're blogging. <laughs> no, no, we're content marketing. Because yep. content marketing sounds more sophisticated than blogging. Yeah. You know, <laughs> it means videos and pictures. Yeah, videos, pictures, yeah, infographics, yeah, everything. So, um, let's let's take a short break. We have a. Uh, we have a new ad, brand-new snazzy ad, from our, our, uh, our friends at MindJet. So we're going to run a short 30-second ad. We'll be right back with Eric.
3: Each and every week, you get bombarded with hundreds of emails, dozens of meetings, countless requests, updates, and reminders, and a deluge of out-of-control deadlines and tasks. More information and distraction means less communication, which affects your productivity, efficiency, and your sanity. At MindJet, we offer the tools to help you get the job done. MindJet takes that information overload and organizes it visually in terms people can understand and shares it with those who actually need it. Work fast, work smart. Go to MindJet.com to learn more.
1: And there's our friends at MindJet. If you haven't checked out their tools, especially the free tools, to get started on um we're we're just broaching the whole mind mapping experience but um I think I'm enjoying it a lot more than I thought. I th- I always grew up a Visio guy, you know, so mm-hmm. I was always developing like charts in visio and and you know, paths and processes. But the the difference now is that you actually get to make these alive. Oh, yeah. that you can connect it to APIs and you can have status updates and everything else. And that brings a whole <laughs> weird You know, I always joke with people, like, I'm great with blogging because it's just one medium. It's not dimensional. It's literally – and then the radio show I do okay, I say – I say uh, you know a lot to, a lot more often than I would like to and I'm trying to cut cut back on that. I was counting last week. Were you? No you
2: weren't, you bastard.
1: <laughs> I lost count. It was every time you hear me just point. I need people to point at me because I don't hear myself say it. Well, I I was gonna drink every time you said it, but I figured I'd be hammered by the <laughs> <Yeah.
0: laughs>
1: You know, Doug, I'll just do that. <laughs> you know You know, I'll, I'll just do that.
0: So nobody
1: brought that to my attention uh, Doug Thies was the first one to tell me, and 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 the radio show had been going for probably six months or something. I had no idea. <laughs> I literally had no idea. And when I listen to myself, I don't even hear it. Yeah, uh, uh, yeah. so Tell you what, as a as a public speaker, I I was in Toastmasters about eight years ago, yeah. and had done some public speaking, but they really helped me focus on what it was I needed to work on, and, and a lot of those pauses and, and ums and us were a big thing, and so the thing that I really took away from that was just being able to know that I was doing it and know why I was doing it and focus on not doing it, so it's rare that I, I put an um into a conversation, and it's more a conversational tick that we have right. because we don't want to be interrupted. And that's the habit we carry when we're speaking in public. We don't want to be interrupted, but no one's going to interrupt us. So we just throw it in there because that's our habit. It's a it's a strange habit because I usually get on my kids about, um, you know, um, um was, you know, every third. And here I was, I was doing it myself and not even realizing it. <laughs> you know when you go, um, you know? It's just... <laughs> Just record myself and edit it out. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's what I should do. I should just download the radio shows each week, yeah. cut out get all of you knows.
2: <laughs> do a 40 minute show then. Where the 2nd way <laughs> off topic here. The so trash <laughs> Doug
1: show. you <laughs> are having an intervention.
2: If you like to talk about it, no problem.
1: Well, that that brings me to another topic, and it's actually right on topic. Is is you and I have spoken about this before? Is you truly are a a, a pure writer, you know? Whereas, and I and I mean that as you know, the incredible compliment that that you've been writing professionally for years, and blogging for me was really just a hobby to start, and so it's been difficult for me for you know for that entire time to re- to really craft. I said it, wow, to craft my message and to write succinctly, you know, and use grammar effectively. Dang it. <laughs> They're all pointing at me, everybody, and Eric's drinking. <laughs> <laughs> Eric's
2: going to be trashed by the <laughs> end of this. Um, it's back background what, topic.
1: What, sure. you, what are the tips that you provide new writers Bloggers, content marketing, whatever you want to call it, um, to to craft their message well. What I found personally, what worked with me, was I went from sixteen hundred words down to four hundred. I, I I basically made myself reread over and over again and take out all the extraneous crap. And I do that even with our uh, even with our content writers that that we've used. Is I go through and I find all these words that don't have any value add to the conversation, and I make them cut it out. That's just me personally. I, I It tends to make my blog post shorter, more concise, easily readable, and people can devour them. What do you find are the mistakes that young writers or new businesses that just want to get into the blogging and start to put themselves out there, what kind of tips do you provide them to not be scared? you know, but be prepared to write good content? Uh, there are a number of things that, that people can do. One is, uh, and I see this in a lot of young writers that just graduated from college and they're supposed to write smart, you know, they're supposed to write like their professors want them to. And so you have you have these sentences that are three lines long. And, you know, I prefer Hemingway style of writing where sentences are five words long. So get people to start thinking like that and get them to start thinking like, a newspaper reporter, you know, if you read a newspaper article, and, and especially if you can get the, the actual paper uh, and not just online, <clears throat> focus on and mark up all the really short sentences and the really short information, and you'll find a lot of good examples with With uh, the columnists are your best bet because they can be a lot more creative in their writing. They can do some some kind of verbal tricks and, and literary tricks to make you take notice. One-word paragraphs and, and things like that, things that our seventh-grade English teacher told us never to do. Right. Do those things. But read read a lot is one thing, but read a lot of newspapers because they really teach you to be succinct. Pay attention to what you're writing on Twitter. I, I always pride myself on writing in short sentences and then I started using Twitter, and I saw how much better I could be. And so I really focus on what I write on Twitter and try to write without abbreviations and without, you know, without the, the text speak. Right. It's a struggle, but that, that's my goal. Sometimes I don't do it, but if I can fit a whole thought and condense a whole thought into that 140-character scrape, it's really helped a lot over the years, especially for, uh, for humor writing, because I write humor columns. And so now my goal when I write tweets is to do the setup and the punchline in that single space. That's tough. Yeah. But that has taught me to really shorten that kind of work uh when I do my humor columns for the newspapers. And there's two there's two pieces behind that too. That's not just it's, it's not just you crafting your message well, it's also that people are able to read it easily. Mm-hmm. Um, I think or comprehend all, it easily or comprehend it. I think a lot of people think that we read words, but we don't. We read shapes of words, and yep. short sentences will 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 take a whole sentence in and not even realize it, you yep. know, just because of the shape. And I think a lot of people miss that that they think that sounding smart. You know, uh, however, and uh, you know, uh, you know, I'll, I'm not gonna throw out any grammatical terms because I would be wrong with all of them. <laughs> I'm, I'm, you know, it's funny. I'm off with of grammar rules. Yeah. I know the rules, but I know that they sound right. I don't know why they are. If somebody says, you know, oh, that's future perfect, and I have no idea. But so you're dead on, though. You, you, I miss, I miss. Either I'm getting to be a better blogger, or you're not reading my blog post anymore, because <laughs> you need to give me great advice
2: all the time.
1: <laughs> well, and, and but what's funny is I could never tell you why that was a rule. Right. I just knew that's wrong. That's, that shouldn't say that that way. But I couldn't tell you why. I here. this is funny, I hate admitting this, but I, I sometimes have to. Uh, it was not until about seven years ago that I learned the difference between a subject and an object in a sentence. Oh, wow. I was, I, yeah. Oh my God. <laughs> yeah, I, I did not know the rules, but you know, my dad said one time, well, you don't need to know the rules any more than you know you need to know internal combustion engines to drive a car. You just know how to drive a car, and that's what I was doing. I knew how to drive the car, but I didn't know how the engine worked. You
3: didn't have to diagram sentences when you were
1: in fourth grade. Oh, we had to, but I didn't do a lot of same things. <laughs> <laughs> I read a book, and I think it was called The Queen's English. I'm not. I, I think that's what it was, and it was written by a um, an English professor, but it was kind of a comedy. So um, it, he basically told the whole story of English and, and what a bastardized, ridiculous language it is. You know, going from. English to French back to English then adding some Spanish in and German you know, and German and yeah it was whoever was conquering who and whatever king was there started writing the rules and 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 even in later in history like we had I, I don't know the president that did it but there was one president that didn't he thought he was going to cut vowels out so he literally wrote without vowels in all of his you know to to save time and and, and everything <laughs> and so now, when someone gets, you know, kind of the the, the grammarian or the, you know, the person that gets upp- uppity with me, I always go, go read this book, because <laughs> uh, we're all savages, basically. Uh, well, and and the English is a very malleable language; it's always changing, and there are no there are no rules that have to be rules all the time. I and mean, you know, there are things that we were taught in seventh seventh grade English that were just wrong. Uh, they should never have been rules to begin with. And it's not that their language changed. It's that, you know, the people who taught us this, they, they learned the rule in the fifth grade, and they never changed it. And they passed that language down to students. Like ending your sentences with a preposition. You know, we're not supposed to do that. Well, that's incorrect. There are many, many cases where you can end your sentences in a preposition. But that myth was started by uh, a Latin scholar named Robert Loth, who who was trying to create rules for English, and he looked at the rules that we had for Latin, and he said, well, when you do a proper Latin sentence, you can't put a preposition at the end of the sentence. Therefore, this is the rule for English. Mm-hmm. When in cases where you are walking with Robert Loaf down the street and he steps into something that smells, and you say, in what did you step? That just sounds stupid. Nobody's ever going to say that. You can't ask Robert Loaf, in what right. did you step? You sound like an idiot. Right. <laughs> so you say, what did you step in? And that's more natural, right? And even the most the most learned grammar Nazi is going to say, "Yeah, that's right. You can say that." Right. But the the people who just they kind of quit at seventh grade, uh, they say, "Oh, you can't end your sentences in a preposition." Right. So so those are the rules that you know that should be changing, and we're starting to see people accept that as okay. Yeah, maybe you know, maybe Mrs. Taylor was wrong, and I can say it that way. But even uh, no, I'm I. <laughs> <laughs> Doug has to drink every time I say We're, gonna, <laughs> we're,
2: we're just going to be stuttering fools when we get out of this radio show.
1: <laughs> but we're starting to see things like uh, the AP, the Associated Press Style Book, has has said they will stop chastising people for putting the word "hopefully" at the beginning of a sentence when you when you meant to say "I am hopeful" or "It is to be hoped that," mm-hmm. and. I wrote a blog post about it, and people were just up in arms. They were just greatly upset and I would respond to them with, unfortunately, <laughs> a lot of people are you know are having this kind of reaction sadly, I don't kind of understand what the logic is you know about this right um you know ultimately, we will all come
2: together
1: and and people started realizing, oh, yeah, it was kind of a dumb rule to begin with. Well, the rule was created in the 60s by a bunch of editors from different New York yeah. newspapers and, and literary types who said, we shouldn't be doing this. And so around 1960, 61, that became a rule, and they changed our language. And then it kind of caught on, but it never really caught on, and a lot of people said it, and a lot of people got chastised for it, and the AP finally said They didn't say it's okay. They said Common usage is such that we're not going to get upset by it. Right. So we're going to see, I think eventually we're going to see hopefully become acceptable and not just uh, begrudgingly accepted. We're not going to see emoticons added, are we? Not. I hope not. I like them, but, but, yeah, I don't want to see them in a dictionary. Emoticons are those perfect safety tool. After you say something very insulting, you can put a smiley face
2: on it. <laughs> That's how I do it. <laughs> so, so then it's not
1: quite the slap. <laughs> <laughs> what are things like
3: LOL, like laugh out loud? People come more into um, music.
1: I think they will, at least as as slang, as accepted slang. We'll never see them in a business document. We'll never see them in a novel, but we'll see them. <clears throat> we'll see them in use, and people will know what they mean. I, I remember reading, uh, and it might have been in that book. There was a, a write up about. The word okay, mm-hmm. and where that came from. It's actually an acronym. It was O and K, and both of them. I can't remember. I'd have to look it up. But ah. but it's interesting that it's now okay to everybody. And and being a sailor, there's a ton of sailor you know slang words like that uh, in our in our lives now that we use every single day that people people have no clue where they came from. You know, mm-hmm. I used to have a, a huge list of them, and it was really surprising. You know how people would. You know, talk about the weather, and they would say something, and it was really a nautical term from 400 years ago. Uh, you know, and it grew out of, you know, because they were on a, you know, small ship versus a big ship, or you know, whatever. But it's interesting. You know, it'll be, it will be interesting in 40, 50 years to see. You know, uh, oops, I said it uh <laughs> <laughs> times oh, in time. Oh,
2: thanks, Shut up. <laughs> I'm counting. Over are here. you, are you pointing? <laughs> so
3: why didn't you talk about it? That I don't hear it anymore.
2: So it's
1: just—it's it's, it's my closest mindset. friends just understand my my weakness <laughs> <laughs> am going to accept them. Uh, but it will be interesting. Both your friends make fun of it. There you go. <laughs> In 40 years, it will be interesting to see how many of those make
3: the. Mm-hmm. You
1: know, make our everyday language yeah,
3: because it'll be so common in terms of the way that we communicate and texting and all those kinds of things that they get even, you know, more and more used. Because,
1: because as much of a, as much as I think uh, when people when people correct me, half the time I'm like ugh, snob, you know, and the other half of the time I'm embarrassed. Yeah. <laughs> and and it's it, it really is kind of half and half right now. But as I look to the next age and I see my daughter text you are for your, you know, you know. I get I get a little antsy. I'm I'm a little bit pissed off. Like, aren't you going to school? You know, didn't they teach you why <laughs> oh you are? I won't let my daughter text me and text speak. That's awesome. I back and I say what, and she'll repeat it. She's done it. She'll repeat it. I don't know what you're saying. Okay. That's great. (laughs) So now I'm becoming the snob. Yep. Yeah. It's 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 interesting. But I I do think some decorum shows a level of um, a level of respect for your audience too. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. and you know to go back to you know we sidetracked, but the whole conversation here with content marketing this is very applicable Mm -hmm. because people read it what is it a seventh grade reading level typically yep. Sixth, and seventh. and and you do have to know how to take it down a notch if you're a very sophisticated writer mm-hmm. you know and you have to know how to take it up a notch if you're you know a college student just you know coming out of writing in Facebook every single day well and I think it I think it's important that that writers show a level of education and I never I never like to use the term proper English because it, that, that's a, a very elitist way of looking at things. You know, I speak it's proper awesome. English. Yeah, but I speak proper English because I've, I'm college educated, and that, that really smacks of classism. But to to use appropriate English means that you know how to speak to your, your audience. Uh, I could not write something for a bunch of teenagers. I don't know how. So in that case, it's not appropriate English what I'm writing, so I've got to write it in a way that, that it will at least be accessible by them. So I'm not going to try to fake it and use, uh, use slang and, and use text speak when you know when it would fit. I'm just going to do what I do. Right. At the same time, when I'm writing to a business audience, or if I even have to write to an academic audience, again, I don't know how to speak to that academic audience anymore. I used to, being in grad school, I uh, used to have to speak to that academic audience. And now I don't know how. So I just make sure I'm accessible and that I take the idea and express it in such a way that, that they still want to read it. Right. right. What's interesting about uh, writing is there we have tools. I know anybody who uses Windows and they use Word, they have the Flash Kincaid reading level scanner on that you can use on Word and there's even a, a Flash tool for a Mac that I could use. I could plug a document into it and check the reading level. And the higher the reading level, and it's a rough estimate, but the higher the reading level, the more complex the document is, and the harder it will be for people to read. So you can actually write at an 18th grade reading level, which is, you know, like that many years of, of college and graduate school beyond, and not be legible or readable by anybody. Right? right? Even the people who have that much education, they don't want to read at that level. They don't want to, they can read it, they understand the words, but they don't want to put the mental bandwidth into it. And so there was a a study done several years ago on award-winning versus non-award-winning academic writing. And they found the the articles in these peer-reviewed journals that won awards and compared them to the ones that didn't by running them through Flesch Kincaid. They found that the ones that won the awards were written at an eighth, ninth, tenth grade reading level. And the ones that did not were thirteen, fourteen, fifteen, eighteen. Mm-hmm. Great, fascinating. And and they won the the awards they got were from their peers, you know, from, were from other people reading these journal right. articles, people who were smart enough to understand this. And what they what they concluded was that as long as the writers could express their ideas clearly, and explain it thoroughly, the people who were reading it didn't want to use all that mental bandwidth. They wanted to kind of coast and relax a little bit. And just gather the information. They didn't want to be impressed by all the big words. So yes, that may be proper English to write that way, but it's not necessarily appropriate. I, I find it now. I find that if I go download a white paper from a, you know, from some place and I read that first paragraph and I have to stop and think about what they said, mm-hmm. I almost always put it down and don't bring mm-hmm. it back up. I I, I there There's a piece of me that and and you know without going into you know both my kids are going to college, so I shouldn't talk crap about academia but but there is some of that too that i i i I instantly get a picture of someone who's an academic and not necessarily a professional that's that's my dad and so my Dad's a college professor, and yeah. I give him shit sometimes about you know his writing he's been writing a lot longer than I have, and he wouldn't call himself a writer but he He's been writing since I was alive, so he knows how to do it. Right. But, but I, I, tell him I can do it better.
3: Things <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> like slow and direct sentences and things of that
1: sort. Of. Let's let's take a break and okay. we'll we'll ask about that after because I think that's a key point. So this this is a uh, message from our sponsors, Delivera.
0: Delivera has been providing um, email software and professional services for more than thirteen years. Delivera helps businesses and organizations execute effective email marketing campaigns by providing dynamic software and professional services from full-out consulting engagements to help when you need it in areas such as design, production, deliverability, and testing. Voted one of the 2011 best places to work in Indiana and one of Inc. 5000's fastest growing companies. Delivera partners with businesses and organizations across all industries and verticals and truly opens its doors each and every day to put the customer first. To learn more about Delivera, visit www.delivera.com or call 866-915-9465. Tell them you heard about Delivera from the Marketing Technology Blog.
1: So we're with uh, Eric Deckers here and, and Anita, you were asking a quite a, a great question, and I think it's uh, it's important, especially when you look at content marketing. Go ahead, I'll let you ask. Yeah, I'm not gonna paraphrase it.
3: Yeah, just talking about uh, when when you write, um, this is a different a bit of a different style. Um, that it's you know about flow versus you know maybe having direct, you know, direct sentences, um, and because your right tend to write shorter, um, you know, for those mediums.
1: Well uh, and like Doug was saying off the air, you know, we have we've all been taught the same basic model of uh, beginning, middle, end, of opening, three main points, conclusion. We've been taught all those things, and so we read that way. But we also, when you when you look at fiction writing, and you can find some good fiction writers that create nonfiction that flows just wonderfully. They they tell stories chronologically. Uh, there's a there's a a start and a finish to a story and other people will do something topically or you know like the journalist who will take the most important information first and do that last and i think that it, there's no one that's better than the other a lot of it just depends on what the subject is but i think a lot more of it is the approach to it and how can you explain things in a way that it appeals and makes the most sense to the reader so I wrote a blog post just a, a few days ago about the cost of speaking for free. And I talked about things. And I, I organized these five different bullet points on the areas where, if I speak for free, here's what I do to prepare for it. And it was things like uh, preparation, driving, the cost of gas, setup time, and then lost time to give to clients. And so it essentially, it was a chronological step by step of this is what I start doing a week or two beforehand, and this is me at this point, and then this is me when it's all over. I needed that to flow chronologically because it was the most logical. I couldn't just say, well, the most important thing I'm giving up is time for clients. And then the second most important thing I'm giving up is prep time, and on and on. So I had to find that model that made it flow. But then you know, I was doing other things like using several real-life examples which is always better than theoretical writing. And, you know, let's let's imagine this guy, we'll call him A, and A does these things. And if if I could actually talk about a real person named Steve and Steve, uh, you know, Steve sails boats and this is his boat and tell that story about Steve and the boat, that makes more sense and it's more accessible to readers. But I think even when going back to your question about flow and sentences, I think even how we structure the sentences has a lot to do with it. Language has a rhythm. And if we can find that rhythm, and the best way to find it, here's another tip for a new writer, the best way to find that rhythm is to read what you've written out loud. And imagine hearing that out loud. Imagine hearing somebody speak those words and did it sound appealing when you read it. The good writers will try to write in a way that captures that natural rhythm. And so then it won't matter how I structured that. Mm -hmm. As long as I structured it well, if I can use the right kind of language and the right kind of rhythm, it makes more sense. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: Does that just it's more conversational? Almost more conversational. Now one of the things that I'm trying is when I write something, I imagine myself speaking the words and delivering it to a room full of people. And is this the way I would say it out loud? And if I can find that, then it, it tends to flow better for me.
3: That kind of relates to authenticity, you know, when people are looking for something that kind of comes from something that's a little bit deeper. Yeah, it
1: could be. You hear people talk about the writer's voice, so I'm actually trying to capture the writer's voice. And I think a lot of people read; they don't they don't just read the words; they hear the words. And so I try to make the words more hearable.
3: Can I ask you a question, writer, the writer. Sure. I personally find that dialogue is the hardest thing to write. The narrative's always easy, but well, I, I, do you agree
1: with that, or what do you? I mean, I used
2: you're
1: to. Writing different. I no, dialogue is is very difficult, and I got good at it, and, and I was surprised to find I was good at it because I used to suck at dialogue. I was awful at it, and I thought, well, I need to focus on dialogue, and I need to make it better. and That's where that voice really becomes important. I try to imagine people saying things. That's also why I couldn't write for teenagers is because I would just suck a dialogue for them. (laughs) Because I don't I don't know how they talk. (laughs) Um, you know, like our convers we could we could transcribe a conversation. It would sound like a bunch of teenagers. (laughs) But uh but I really focused on on making dialogue the best it could be and didn't realize I had done it until I had a few people say, Wow you're really good at dialogue. So so now, like, fiction narrative is difficult for me. I, if I could write a story that was nothing but dialogue, it would be great. And and now I struggle with the narrative part of, of a fiction piece. I, yeah,
2: I'm the exact opposite, but, I, don't know.
1: but it's, I But that's also where you put a lot of your efforts and your energy. As you've been writing, you've kind of put it into that, that narrative piece, and so mm-hmm. you've gotten good at that. And that, it it kind of breaks into something that I wanted to talk about, too. I was reading a, um, I threw the link out on Facebook, I'm not sure how many people uh, saw it, but a copywriter basically put up a, it was like a copywriting checklist, Um, and I was absolutely stunned and amazed at it, because what he concentrated on was modern web capabilities, not you know not story idea and this and that the uh you know he talked about you know get there the quickest way possible he talked about the title was eighty percent of the entire article twenty mm-hmm. percent was the, <laughs> the article itself but one of the things that he he put in there was images headings mm-hmm. uh, fonts uh, you know italic versus strong white space block quotes white space and when i when i craft things you know when i craft a blog post i know i do things like create bullet points with bulleted words so that people can just skim vertically and i and i try to make them align even vertically mm-hmm. you know to make it easier and whenever i put a quote from the company or something from their website i would use a block quote so i i do it tactically but i don't do it uh as a strategy like this guy does and it really got me to think totally different about this is, you know, we're we're. This is an interesting time where you're not writing a book, you're not writing, you're not even writing a report. Mm-hmm. When you're writing for the web, you have so many other capabilities just within, you know, hypertext to to say different things or to get people's eyeballs to move or, you know, to to inject some, you know, um, some kind of uh, thing like. Using italicized words, for instance, mm-hmm. I mean obviously that's always been with us for a long time, but if you read a typical book, it doesn't have any you know right um, well, I think the web has made us a different kind of reader the The blog or the, the books that that I wrote with both Jason and Kyle we wrote almost like a blog post in fact i got I got uh pounded on by my development editor for the second book she said this you're writing this like blog posts. Stop it. Make it a book. Undo. Yeah, make it look like a book. We actually, when we submitted our first twenty-five percent, they sent it back and said, "Do it again." Wow. Which was I Ouch. was I was hurt. I mean, I wasn't upset because I I you know I took it more like I had failed rather than they they were awful. But it was like, oh my God, this thing that has worked for me for so long didn't work for
2: me. You
1: know, I, I spent like I'm a whole day. Damn it. I know, that's what I said. I spent a whole day just kind of depressed. I wasn't good
2: enough. Was, imagine how I
1: felt as not a professional writer rewriting the first chapter yep. five times for Wiley. Oh, wow. It wasn't five, but it was, it was definitely. I, I remember the first time I got it back literally open it up in Word and they have track changes on. It was all red. Oh, the wow. entire thing was red. And uh and uh Chantel you know, Chantel was like Chantel would keep us on, on, on par as far as timeline and and the skeleton of the document and make sure that we were weren't wandering and everything else. But I was writing and I, I just remember being depressed just like that. I remember getting it back and just wanting to
2: cry. Like oh, yeah. it took me like Three months to get to to plan and you still didn't get right. I'm. i was, never going to be an author.
1: <laughs> I always try to be a big boy about my writing and not letting. Man, that day was hard. Yeah. And when they got turned away, and you know there are people who, when they edit my stuff, I am excited that they edited it, and and every mark they make and every correction they make, I I think that's
2: is great, because
1: I need this. But that day was like. I have been stabbed in the heart, <laughs> and then of course Jason Smith, yeah, He probably didn't help. No, he was probably like, "I thought you could write." Well,
3: <laughs> uh, I blame
1: Jason. <laughs> Considering we submitted two chapters and all of them got turned back. Oh, uh, there you go. Yeah,
2: stuck just as much as me. <laughs>
1: <laughs> That's fantastic. When they when they do that, are they doing that? Um, because it's based on their experience about what makes a good book or are they doing that based on you know what they believe is your potential for writing I think that it was more I I can speak for me they knew what I could do because we had done branding yourself and I had done branding yourself with them the year before and I asked for the same editor so she knew what I could do and, and she said this is not what you can do so, in that case, that was you know rising right to the full potential as a writer. I think in other cases in other books that I've seen, they are more concerned about getting it out quick than they are getting it out well yeah. uh, I will say I don't see that from Pearson I see it from <laughs> uh, yeah and and not just not just the one that you're thinking of, but right. a few publishers right. I wonder why did you publish this? Why is this out as a book, and that's not just. That's not just nonfiction and not just social media books. I see fiction books. It's like, good God, I'm not a fiction writer and I could be better than that. Yeah, they're just they're awful. I'm surprised they have seen the light of day. You no, know, I I I think you're absolutely dead on. I, and we're you know we're joking a little bit about Wiley, but um, uh, everybody knows who's listening. You know, I loved writing. The Hi, book. mom. Yeah, <laughs> I loved writing Corporate blogging for Dummies, and it was the first time that professionally I. I was faced with editors and publishers, and 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 it was probably the best thing that could have happened to me as a non-writer, because I was being thrown into this professional lion pit. You know, uh, oops, I said it, and, and and needed to you know come out hopefully unscathed. And because of the strictness of their voice in the book, and it it really is corporate blogging for dummies has an expectation so it's not it's not that they're doing something wrong making you write in their style it's that people that buy those books absolutely have an expectation of what they're getting and you have to meet that expectation whereas you know a a Pearson where it's Eric Deckers people are reading it for Eric Deckers not for for dummies right you know so it's a it's it's not a you know something that we're saying is wrong or right. I'm not putting words in your mouth, but no, no. that's what I'm thinking. Well, and a good editor is going to kick your ass. Yeah. If you find somebody who they like your work and they say, hey, that's that's pretty good, I like it, that's the wrong person to have editing your work. And that's and that's to along those lines. It's why people have asked me, are you know, are you going to write another book? And I've talked to Dan Powell over at you know Pearson a couple of times with a couple of ideas but I'm not jumping into it yet. You know, it's because, it's because I do wanna take some time and craft a little bit more. I am, all of these things that we're talking about today and the reason why it's an important show today is, is because all of these things are things that at 44 years old, I'm just learning. You know, yeah, I've had a blog for you know seven years, eight years, nine years, whatever it is, I don't know what it is now, but, but it's only now that I'm really learning how to effectively communicate. Mm -hmm. And so I want to make sure... I know when I get in front of a crowd of people, I can make them laugh. We can have a good time. They walk out of there and they think that was worthwhile. That was valuable. My next book, I want it to be Doug Carr. And I want to make sure that when I write it, that that's what people see. Not, Not just this tactical language guide. But truly, hey, this is Doug Carr, and that's no bullshit, you know, uh, was that was you and Jason. You could read it and see, you know, um, branding yourself. I could absolutely see where Eric wrote and where Eric corrected Kyle's right. <laughs> 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 I
2: gotta, uh, Kyle
1: was being interviewed by Don Kincaid up in Fort Wayne, and Don was pulling out all these sections of the book. You know, I really liked when, when you guys did this, and I really liked this Twitter exchange when you guys did this. Every time, Kyle would go, yeah, that was there. Yeah, that
2: was there.
1: Don said he violated quick, and Kyle was like so depressed. like, yeah, you know, everything I'm saying I thought
2: it was great.
1: Kyle was telling me he didn't write it.
2: That's fantastic.
1: Well, let's take a second break. This is uh, right on Interactive, or this is our third, I guess. But. This is uh, Right On Interactive, a marketing automation company right here in Indy. Actually, our next-door neighbors.
0: Uh marketing tech blog listeners meet Right On Interactive. Right On Interactive is a marketing automation company that helps organizations win, keep, and grow business. They do this through a lifecycle marketing solution that builds engagement throughout the life cycle of every prospect and customer recognized as a top-ranking marketing automation solution with a hands-on implementation strategy right on interactive provides an engagement blueprint for sales and marketing teams so they see where to invest their resources to drive revenue engagement drives relationships and relationships drive revenue this is why nurturing relationships is key Lifecycle marketing from right on interactive it's the next evolution of marketing automation to learn more, visit writeoninteractive.com. Email info at writeoninteractive.com.
1: There you go, right on Interactive. So give those guys a call. Um, they've got a great tool set. We were just talking while the ad was running. Um, if, you, if, you, if you're looking for a tool that literally you can create easy processes from um, you know emails emailing staged events based on customer behavior coming to landing pages, things like that um, they call it you know customer life cycle marketing because they take into consideration and I love this because I think we've we do it with New media is when we get a new client on board, we're always leery when they're not our typical client,
2: mm-hmm.
1: and then we watch what happens after they become our client to see whether our concerns you know, we're real or not. And I think what we're finding over time is we're becoming a lot keener on, yeah, it's a lot more now we know when a client not going to be, and, and, and it's not that they're a bad client, but it's not going to be a good fit with us. And so we'll refer them to somebody else just because we know, oh, my God, this is going to be a nightmare, you know, three months mm-hmm. from now. And I, I like their software kind of takes that it in into consideration. So, okay. uh, if customers are upselling and customers are u- utilization utilization is there and things like that, they take that and go back and score prospects, which is pretty interesting. Most people just stop at the sale, you know. So, once you got them into the pipeline, if they sold, they sold, and get more of them that sold. Well, what if your retention is thirty percent? <laughs> you know, you're not selling to the right people. So um to test managers. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> exactly. So they're 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 good. They're booming. They just hired a couple more people.
2: Mm-hmm. Who went over
1: there? Um what? Yeah, yeah Suzanne went over there, Miss Swank.
2: Ms. Swank. Mm-hmm. Ms. Oh, yeah, Swank.
1: Yep, she just started there. And who else? Someone else did too. Yeah. I can't remember. But they're they're doing really well. good good company. Troy and I were next door neighbors. Is that right? Sort of. We were in two different fraternities right next door to each other. Uh We did not meet until 2007. Ball State. We both went to Ball State. I was in Sigma Tau Gamma. We were in Delta. The houses are right next to each other. Nobody knew anybody in the other house. Okay, so I have my own Troy story. There's Troy and I were both at Iron Maiden last week together, <laughs> and we didn't What's realize.
2: <laughs> was he just like, I, I really want to know. This.
1: No, Troy was not in a. Side. Oh my god, uh, it a polo. He's wearing the
2: button shirt. Like a <laughs> polo. I don't
1: know what he was wearing. I, he was somewhere was else. So a shirt He was somewhere else in the crowd, so I, I didn't. I didn't actually see him. But we were texting each other during the show, so. <laughs> <laughs> oh, now, how many how many guys were your age at the Iron Maiden show? You know, the worst thing wasn't how many guys. The worst thing was how many how many girls dressed as metal queens were our age
2: at uh, show. Yeah.
1: <laughs> it's yeah. Like,
2: hey, put away that outfit. Don't ever take it back out. <laughs> From metal queen
1: to metal queen. Yeah,
2: mom. I'm not gonna wear you know a sleeveless tee. <laughs> so it was it was pretty funny it's It's a weird thing
1: because i th- those crowds you see enthusiasts like me when I was a kid, i couldn 't afford to go see iron Maiden you know so so now it's like a big thing for me well i can, I can go see him now you know and 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 it was a great show, a fantastic show. Alice Cooper opened up, which he was um I never was an Alice Cooper fan, but his whole stage presence is oh, yeah. incredibly theatrical it was a blast. Um, So I love going to these, but I almost get sad when I go and I see all these people that you can tell they never made it out of high school. (laughs) They're wearing their 1986 Iron Maiden World (laughs) Tour shirt that they wore in 1986. And you're going, gee, guys, you know, (laughs) did you ever evolve, you know? Oh, fun, fun, fun time though. It was a good time. But Troy was there in the audience. And, that's hilarious. And it, that
2: is hilarious. it took
1: his. I checked in so social media. I checked in on Foursquare, said I was there. His sister saw it, and his sister commented <laughs> that he was there. Oh, okay. And she texted him and said, "You know, Doug's there," and and that's what started it all. We never found each other. It was a huge storm that night mm-hmm. and everything else. But. Um, but Hilarious! Thorin that Burke was at Iron Man. I was at. Uh, probably he's probably going to call me and say, "Why don't talk?" <laughs> <me." laughs> <laughs> what are you doing? I guess his brother is literally the Iron Man fan. right.
2: I'm not. He wasn't wearing There's No way. He would have got his ass kicked. there? <laughs> <laughs>
1: <laughs> I was at the Girls Rock Indie show. My my two daughters. Yeah. Are at Girls Rock Indie, and uh, Hyde was there. You know Hyde. He was there. Yeah. He, he, uh, he Facebooked me, you know, like two days later. How'd you like the show? I was like, oh, it's awesome. Were you there?
2: <laughs> that's fantastic. So,
1: I didn't how, how did that go this year? That keeps getting bigger and bigger, right,
2: isn't it? Yeah.
1: Yeah, yeah Girls Rock Indie uh, is a girls' camp. for It's a girls' music camp. It's a day camp. And it's really for, and I mean this in the best possible sense, it's for the weirdos. Yeah. It's for the weird girls. And, and my younger daughter is definitely a weirdo, just like her dad, <clears throat> And, and I have found over the years that that the writers and the artists and the theater people and the music people are the ones that I gravitate to toward the most. Even though I live in the business world, those are the people that I really get. They don't get me, but I get them. Right. And so Girls Rock Indie is kind of a chance for those girls to have a place to go. where They are fully accepted and loved, and they get to... They get to learn the importance of of good self-esteem, good body image, even self-defense. They taught self-defense to these kids, and they all taught them to play instruments. If they had never played instruments before, they got a chance to learn how to play. It's like a summer camp, right? Yep, week-long, but it's a day camp, so you just come and go each day. Uh, My youngest daughter's played drums for a year and a half. My oldest daughter's played uh, guitar for a year and a half, and so they they formed bands with a few of the girls. They write a song. And then, on Saturday, they come perform right. and uh and so what's great i I didn't know what to expect. this is my first time. Everybody in the audience, there are like five hundred people there, you know moms and dads and siblings and friends and grandma and grandpa they go nuts yeah. for every song, no matter how awful it was all uh, thumb that you know. Your, your moms love you. It's so good that your moms love you because that was just horrible.
2: <laughs> <laughs> and, and
1: those were the ones they cheered for the loudest, and you could tell some of these girls had never had anybody or had that many people cheer for them. Yeah. My youngest daughter uh, did a drum break, and then the whole audience goes nuts, and she's got this big grin on her face. I've never seen something that big So it was really awesome to see as a dad, see, uh, my girls get that kind of praise oh, uh, and attention. Yeah. So many people. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's incredible. So I know Emma is hooked now. Good. She wants to go back. That's good. Well, it's not
2: well,
1: that it cleansed, mm-hmm. It's reasonable. There's a side to that, too. I think a lot of people underestimate the creativity side of the business world, too. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I think, um, as, you know, when you look at people that are like the greatest developers. The best developers that I know, uh, and my favorite developers, they always have some kind of incredible hobby on the side. They're either musicians, um, you know, Paul DeAndrea, who's a mm-hmm. photographer. Now he's full-time photographer. Yep. Um, it was always a concern to me when I would interview a developer, and I'd say, you know, so what are your hobbies? And they'd go, oh, I don't really have one, you know. Either that or have the one that they don't tell you about. They- either that, but, but... Understanding, uh, you know, someone that's sitting in code all day long and and being a logician, you know, and troubleshooting and everything else, you've got to have some kind of creative outlet to to just get away from
2: that. Yeah.
1: And, and uh, otherwise, you're going to go crazy. So I so I I love it. You know, the whole music thing is is fascinating to me. You know, my son went through it, um, and he was he was. Uh, off and on in a band. He did a lot more recording than he did the um, live stuff. But um, I remember he did a show. He did a show in Franklin, and it was uh, – I'm, I'm missing the oh, – I can't remember. awesome
2: video of him. what song was Oh, it? TNT. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Right. <laughs> TNT. But, uh,
1: but he did this show, and, and, and it was an hour-long show, and they played the song for an hour long
2: and just, <laughs> just
1: had guitar solos like every three minutes and the guitar solo would be like acdc and metallica and this and that but it was one sh- and and uh they were all up there in uh, cut off bermuda shorts and uh they had a leaf blower was one of their audience one of their one of their guys so he had a leaf blower solo and, and then he would run back and forth and 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 Lee flowed the lead singer as he was singing, so he was in this mist. <laughs> uh, it was it was just this incredible riot, but it was to your point, it was just seeing them up on a stage with a crowd of people going crazy, uh, just eating it up the the whole i think um group um I don't know what it's called, but that you know that just the energy group energy is incredible for a kid to experience. And, and Girls Rock India is five years now, something like that? I want to say three, but I could be three? wrong. Three? I, I could be wrong. And, and it's growing, I think, right? And I think other cities are starting to end up, too? Well, it started with Portland, Oregon, Girls yeah. Rock Portland, and uh, Lindsay Manfredi and her band, Beyond Love Life, Yep. Uh, heard about it, latched onto it, I think they even went out and saw how to do it and came back here and did it.
2: Yeah, it's awesome. And then what
1: was really sad about it was Lindsay got mono. Couldn't even make it. Oh no. I told her I wanted her to meet my girls so they could see why we don't want them to have tattoos. <laughs> her tats are awesome. I know they are, but I I, I told her that. I said I wanted I wanted yeah, to they, do the not Your my girls meet girl. her, they're gonna want Yeah, those. yeah, yeah. You better be careful about that. Yeah, my eleven year old. Uh you know, she's she's the princess, but is learning how to play TNT. Oh, that's fantastic. She rocked that out. It's funny. Oh, that's awesome! I love hearing stuff, and it's a, what a great program for. Um, and it's I I love the fact that it's for young young girls too because there's not a lot out there
2: mm-hmm.
1: um, for, from a program standpoint. Well, we got totally sidetracked. Yeah, but hey, guys, are talking about their kids <laughs> hours—that's a good thing.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, what's next? Well, I'm gonna after I get this book with all be done, I'm gonna take a break. And by the way, I, I was gonna say earlier um Radius is R A I D I O U S right um I think they need to make that part of their slogan yeah um, so if you need to look them up online before I ask I shouldn't have asked you what was next um we're going to play a quick mind jet 42 seconds and then we'll, and then we'll be right back with Eric Decker to talk about what's next
3: outside the box pushing the envelope back to the drawing board Thinking in new ways means doing in new ways, and it's hard to work creatively when you rely on old tools. Whiteboards, sticky notes, and endless email threads only get you so far and don't work if your team is scattered across the globe. At MindJet, we offer the tools for more vibrant and productive brainstorming. MindJet puts your ideas into a visual framework in terms people can understand and shares it with anyone, anywhere, anytime. Work fast, work smart. Go to mindjet.com to learn more.
1: So people are. Th- so Jim just said, "What are you playing Mindjet for again?" Those are two different ads, and uh, and they're they're a key sponsor of ours. And so they basically said, "Hey, you know what? One minute might be too long. Can we break it up into two?" I was like, "Yeah, sure." So uh, thank you, Mindjet, for for that. We're with uh, Eric Deckers, uh, and and Eric, I just asked you. Um, what was next on the list besides paying your parking online right now to make sure you don't get a ticket? (laughs) Well, uh,
2: I'm
1: going to finish up this book with Talby, and I'm going to take a break from nonfiction. I'm going to try to do a little fiction writing.
2: Oh, nice. And
1: I've got a story that I had worked on at one point and used that. I, I got a grant several years ago to write a book. And that's the, the laptop that I carry around now. Is, I use the grant money to buy that. And so I want to go back to that. I finished the first draft in, in accordance with the manuscript guidelines, but then uh, it's still worth doing it. I, I like it. I need to polish up the end and then take one more run through and then share it with a couple of uh, fiction writing friends of mine and see what I can do with it. I will probably self-publish. I can't imagine being able to break into the fiction market on the success of mobile social media. But uh but that's that's kinda like, oh I want to just take a break from having to write so much for a little while. That's the most people take a break and say, I'm gonna write finally I'm gonna write yeah. <laughs> you're, you're writing every single day. You're like, get it away from me. Yeah well and the problem is that this is writing's one of those jobs that, that we all think we can do because we all learned how to do it, but it's 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 like running. It's like saying, well, I know how to run, so I should be able to run a marathon. I don't know what you're talking about. Yeah. It's <laughs> a activity I've heard about. I've other people. got a, some big game coming up this weekend about people running, I think. Really? Are there things chasing them? <laughs> <laughs> this is the fear of failure. Yeah. Um but uh but so many people think, well I can I can do this, I can start to do this and, and I don't want to be the kind of person who says, no, you're not going to be a writer, but rather I'm going to say, don't go into this expecting immediate success. Right. You know, take somebody who's been doing it for a long time, a long time to find success. They do it for a long time. I joke with people, I joke with people all the time, but I have a slide that has a big fat guy doing ballet, you know, and I say, I I don't do ballet, right? Mm -hmm. I write. Some people aren't good at writing. Some people are good at ballet, <laughs> you know, and you shouldn't feel bad about, you know, just because you went to school and learned eighth grade English, you shouldn't feel bad about not being able to sit down and crank out a blog post, you know, in 10 minutes or an, or even an hour. Right. It's just not in some people's blood. But I, I think the more dangerous thing is to think that you can't. Yes. And that, as, as a professional blogger, those are the people that I run into who need my service, and and really don't, don't want it. They think, right. oh, I can do what you do. You know, you do it so easily, and it's the same thing I learned how to do, so I should be able to do it easily. What they forget is that I've been doing this for 24 years. Exactly. They've been, you know, they really haven't written anything seriously that didn't sound like a government report for, you know, for that many years as right. well. Yeah, I mean, I can sit down on a Sunday and write eight blog posts like it's nothing. You know, I just need eight topics. That's all I need. Mm-hmm. And I'll go do the research and crank them out. And and that's, you know, that takes some people months to do. And and the thing is, is I, I say it, but give it up quick. If you find yourself struggling, stop. Mm-hmm. Get someone like, you know, ProBlog Service. Get someone, you know, like Eric to, to help you out because it's not going to change. Yeah, this really has to be something you love. Yeah. I mean, that's that's what's kept me doing it for 24 years, day after day, literally day after day. Right. Uh, if I take a week off, if I, I think if I've taken a week off from writing in the last 24 years, I'll be surprised yeah. because I'm always writing something. I'm always carrying a notebook around with me, a little black notebook with a pen. I'm always carrying that with me so that I'm writing something. And even on the days where I'm not actually writing and producing something for consumption. I'm still practicing what I'm writing in when I email people, you know, when I've, I've got some new technique I want to work on, I put it in an email. And I work on that as an email. Or, you know, talked earlier about tweets where I'm, I'm practicing writing jokes with a punchline, set up in a punchline on 140 characters. So I'm always working on the skill even if I'm not putting something out for regular readers. Awesome. Well, thanks for showing up, man. Thank this, you. This fantastic. And we're going to see you at Blog Indiana too, right? Absolutely. I'm talking on the seven humor writing secrets. Oh, nice! So I'm going to violate the secret code. I'm going to share the secret. handshake. a Tell magician and telling the magician secret how to be funny. <laughs> Fantastic! All right, folks. Well, that's our show for the day. Uh, thanks for joining us, and thanks, Eric, again. Good friend of the show and, and good supporter. Oh, I think I've said it in public before. You've been absolutely gracious about supporting, you know, the Marketing Tech Blog and me, uh, and I'm forever thankful. So, thank you very much.
0: Connect with us anytime at marketingtechblog.com. And from there, follow us on Facebook and Twitter. Thanks for listening to the Marketing Tech Blog.